0: there we really hope you enjoy this teaching from the message to find out more about all the exciting things we're doing and how you can get involved check out our website message.org.uk like most people i um i hate waiting for things we live in such a uh, an instant culture don't we where we can pretty much ask for uh, and get anything that we want with just a click of a finger right and as a result, I, I think we see waiting as being a bad thing. It's like an inconvenience, isn't it? It's an annoying part of life that we must go through, but in reality, we never want to. We view waiting for something as a, a barrier or a blockade to the things that we really want in life. Whether that's a, a new job, a house, or whatever it is, waiting feels like a limbo that we want to escape from in order to arrive where we truly want to be. But actually, learning to wait is something that is really, really important. And I'm not just uh, talking about learning to be patient in the waiting, but actually learning to see where God is and what God is wanting to do through us and with us during the waiting. So much of the time, I think we assume that God will only use us when we arrive at the place that we want to be. But God is always working, is always present and is always looking to use situations for his glory. We may feel like we're waiting for the good bits of life to start. But what if God is already working in the waiting and has amazing things planned for us right where we are? And today we're looking at Acts 17 and here we see Paul experience a bunch of unexpected and difficult situations that lead him to Athens where he ends up waiting for Timothy and Silas to join him. The chapter starts with Paul and Silas uh, Silas, who are traveling through some different towns when they come to Thessalonica, one of the wealthiest and most influential cities in Macedonia. And as Paul usually does when he's in a town and there's a Jewish synagogue, he goes and he talks to them and he explains the scriptures to them, pointing them to Jesus. And he's here for a few weeks and he sees in that time many God-fearing Greek men and women come to faith, as well as a, a few Jewish people too. But there were some Jews who were jealous of this attention Paul was getting. And so they formed a mob to start a riot, accusing Paul and Silas of causing trouble and treason against Caesar. Because of this, Paul and Silas, they have to escape in the night to a different town called Berea. In Berea, they again go and preach in the synagogue, but the Jews in Thessalonica learn where Paul was, and they come to stir up a crowd against him. As a result, Paul has to escape again, and he's taken to Athens, off route from where he was probably heading. And this leaves him on his own in Athens and Silas and Timothy in Berea. And Paul is waiting for them to join him in Athens. And we pick up the story in Acts 17, verses 16 to 33. So if you've got your Bibles, I'd encourage you to uh, grab them, switch them on and turn to this. So it's Acts 17, 16 to 33. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting at the Areopagus, where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas." Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, "'People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. "'For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, "'I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God.'" So you're ignorant of the very thing you worship." And this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of the heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. For one man, he made all nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. He's given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. At that Paul left the council. Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus. Also a woman named Damaris and a number of others. Although it's not completely clear, we get this impression that this is not a well-thought-out planned trip to Athens, but one where Paul was forced to move into unexpected places as a result of hostility towards his message. Something that we see here is that even though Paul is in a time of waiting, God isn't. The Holy Spirit was clearly up to something. He was clearly working amidst the hostility that we see earlier in the chapter to bring in something new. It may not have been Paul's plan to go to Athens, but God had a greater plan and presents an amazing opportunity for him, as we've just read. And what's important here is that even though Paul was waiting for the others to join him, he doesn't let the waiting stop him from doing what God has called him to do. And I think actually we can learn a few things from Paul and what he does in his time of waiting and how that can help us when we too are in that place. Firstly, Paul, in his time of waiting, he took time to understand his surroundings. So much of the time, I think when we're waiting uh, for what we know God has called us to do, we use that waiting as an excuse to kind of sit back and to relax, to not actively seek to understand how God might be wanting to use us right in that very moment. We use waiting as an excuse, I think, sometimes for not participating. I remember uh, when I was a kid, um, I'm the youngest of four siblings uh, and when you're the youngest sibling, you you want to be like your older siblings, right? You think they're the coolest people. And my brother, I thought, was the coolest person ever. And so for me, I always wanted to hang out with him. So whenever he had mates around at the house, I would always kind of like sneak into the room, hope that they wouldn't notice me and kind of be part of this group. And my brother, he caught on to this. One, he didn't want me there. And uh, two, he knew I was very gullible. So he would be like, hey, Joseph, you know what? You'll be you'll be a cool kid if you uh, if you go and get us a drink. And I'm like, yes, my time has arrived. I'm gonna be a cool kid at last. So I'd go and I'll get them a drink, and I'll come back and I'll give them the drink, and then I'll kind of be expected to be welcomed into their group. For what would happen every time they would send me out of my way, and I'd be like, ah. it wasn't this time, but maybe next time I will be a cool kid. And so next time my brother would have mates round, and I would go in and I would uh, I'd go in and I'd be like, now's my time to be a cool kid. And uh, they'd be like, Joseph, you know what? You'll be a cool kid if you go and get us a packet of crisps. So I'd go and I'd be like, yes, I'm going to be a cool kid at last. And I'd go and again... I wouldn't be a cool kid. I'd give them a packet of crisps and they would send me on my way. Uh, And as much as this happened, and it happened many, many times, I never managed to attain the title of cool kid. Uh, And I don't know what I was expecting either, like, if my brother, if I did enough favours for him, that one day he would come up to me, put a crown on my head, robe around my shoulders and say, congratulations, I now dub you a cool kid. Uh, that, that never happened. And just uh, if you want to kind of build me up today, just and you see me walking around the corridors, if you just call me a cool kid, that will really help my self-esteem. Um, but if I spent my entire life waiting for that moment to happen, expecting that one day my brother would turn around to me and call me a cool kid, I'd probably be waiting forever. And sometimes I think we we keep waiting and we keep waiting for the moment that God can use us, holding on to promises we've received from him for the future and using them, I think, sometimes as an excuse not to do anything now. We get into this mindset of, well, I'll be able to fully serve God when this happens. I'll be a, a better servant of him when I get my new job. I'll be able to be more generous when my finances are finally sorted. I can serve God properly when my personal life isn't so messy. But what if God is wanting to use you right now? What if God is wanting to use you exactly where he's positioned you at this very moment? Amidst all the chaos that might be going on in your life right now, what if God is in that place too and has a plan to use you through it all? You see, Paul had just been through a chaotic time, having to move from place to place to escape from a mob who was out to get him. But even though he was surrounded by chaos and unfamiliar surroundings, Paul was open for God to use those situations for his glory. That's why when Paul gets to Athens, he gets familiar with his surroundings and he actively looks and pursues where God might be working through it. He sees the idols all around him and he sees the altar to the unknown God and he becomes distressed by what he sees because he sees a culture that has missed the point and he knows he must do something about it. Isn't that a mirror to our culture today? Our culture that has so missed the point on what life is all about. Our culture that's decided to make idols out of fame, money, relationships. A culture that I think is so desperately looking for a God, they've set up their own to fill the void. In fact, it's fascinating if we look at this altar to an unknown God. Because I wonder if if Paul sees this and sees that this is a people who recognize that there must be another God out there. I wonder if it was almost like they had created all these other gods and divinities and were still not satisfied that they knew what the answer was. And so they put this altar up in recognition recognition that there must be something greater out there. They just didn't know what it was yet. Our world is after something greater than what they see in front of them, greater than their own gods and, and idols that they've made for themselves. And so we cannot afford to wait for what we think is the perfect timing for God to use us. To wait until we're ready and we've got our lives together because there will never be a perfect moment. We'll just keep waiting and waiting and waiting. And that's not to say that there won't be moments where God will bring you into greater opportunities in the future. But it's how we're faithful in the little things now that determines how and when God will trust us with the bigger things. In Paul's case, in Acts 17, what might have been seen as an inconvenience brought about by events that didn't go to plan actually get turned into an incredible opportunity where Paul gets to preach in front of a brand new audience, not just in terms of geography, but to an audience that had a a totally different view and perspective on life to any other of the people that Paul had preached to before. Paul here was not preaching to zealous Jews who could get angry at the message he was preaching about Jesus being the Messiah. Nor was he preaching to people who were aligned to the Roman Empire and would have been outraged at him saying that there was someone who was Lord other than Caesar. Here, Paul had the opportunity to preach to people who were like from the world of thought, who were eager to hear new ideas and consider what they mean to them. And these people who Paul was preaching to were not just anybody. They were people who held considerable influence and sway over how ordinary people thought about life. This was an incredible opportunity to influence the influences. And it all came out of that place of uncertainty and trouble. You see, God took what was meant for harm for Paul and he flipped it for his glory. But if Paul had just taken time out to lick his wounds, feel sorry for himself, he might have missed it. And that's not to say sometimes we don't need to take a step back and rest. That is important. But I still believe that in those moments, there are opportunities for God to use us. Don't miss the opportunities God is putting in front of you now just because you're waiting for something else later on. God has positioned you in the place you are now for a reason. Don't waste it. On waiting. You never know what God might be wanting to do through you. Another thing we can learn from Paul as he waits for Timothy and Silas to join him is that he didn't back away from a challenge either. So many times I think when we're in a period of waiting, we can step back and retreat because we view our current circumstances as being the ones that we weren't made for. We almost think we're not supposed to be here, so I'm not going to do anything about it. I'm currently uh, watching a show on Netflix called Drive to Survive. Has anybody seen it? It's a gr- it's a great <laughs> it's a great show and I yeah yeah uh, I'm not gonna lie though uh it's if you don't know what it is it's all about f1 f1 racing and um I am not into sport whatsoever so if this analogy falls on its face I am sorry and I'm sorry peter uh but the uh the show is really interesting because it goes behind the scenes and what it's like being an f1 team and being an f1 driver. And so many of these drivers, they spend their entire lives from a young age waiting for the opportunity to be an F1 driver. And it's not even something that's guaranteed. There are only 20 spaces available in F1. What do those drivers do while they're waiting to get a space in this exclusive club? They practice, practice, practice. They start off in junior karting. Then when they've proved themselves, they might go to Formula 3 or Formula 2. And eventually, If they're good enough, they get to go on and be part of Formula One. Their overall goal is to make it to Formula One, but without stepping up to the other challenges in those other championships, they would never get there. We need to be willing to step up to the challenges in front of us, even if we think we're waiting for the next thing to come along. And this is what we see uh, with Paul in Acts 17. He's presented with this amazing opportunity to preach to this brand new people group. And as as, as amazing as this opportunity is, it's also a massive challenge because he has to preach to two very different people groups at the same time the Epicureans and the Stoics. The Epicureans believed that the world and the gods were a long way from one another with little or no communication. They thought that we as humans on earth should get on with life as best as we could, discovering how to gain maximum pleasure from a quiet and sedate existence. However, the Stoics believed that divinity, or in other words, kind of spiritual our, our, spirituality, I'm struggling to say that word, the gods lay within the present world and within each human being so that this divine force could be discovered and harnessed. But it was all about being rational and logical and discovering God by good thought. Paul finds himself having to preach to these two very different people groups in what is actually a really intimidating environment. He's taken to the Areopagus, which was like the the highest court in Athens. And he's taken there because they wanted to hear the full story about what Paul was saying. Firstly, they were interested in what he had to say, but also they wanted to see if this new God that Paul was presenting was a, a danger to the way that they thought and did things. This was not a comfortable environment to be in. But Paul, he steps up to the plate. He doesn't back away and he talks about how our God is a creator God, telling them that God can not only be known but wants to be known. He addresses the Epicureans by saying that even though God and the world are separate things, God is not far away from us and actually wants us to pursue him. And he addresses the Stoics by saying, yes, God does live within us and can be discovered, but not necessarily in the logical and rational way that you think. Actually, God is the very one who gives us breath and life and cannot just be understood from a logical perspective. In the same preach, Paul manages to address these two different people groups in a really skillful way. But what gives Paul the ability to do this? And I think actually it's because of Paul's past life and because of what he learned in earlier periods of his life that equipped him to be able to speak so powerfully now. Paul was from Tarsus, an educational center, and this meant he had the training and the knowledge to present his beliefs clearly and persuasively. He was also originally a rabbi who spent much of his life thinking and reasoning through scriptures. And what I love about this is often I think when we think about Paul, we think immediately about him being this amazing missionary and theological thinker who wrote nearly half of the New Testament but I think we can often forget where he came from and what enabled him to do all those things in the first place. One part of it is that clearly God was on his life. And it was the transformation in his life that God had done through the Holy Spirit that enabled Paul to speak with such authority to this group of people in Athens. But without Paul's past life of being a rabbi and without him coming from where he did and being so well educated, he would have never been able to communicate the gospel so effectively to this new group of people. What I love is that even when Paul was still far away from God all those years ago, God was still in those moments. He was still preparing him and molding him and had in mind what Paul needed in order to step up to this task of preaching in Athens. God's fingerprint wasn't just on Paul's life when he had his powerful conversion. God already had in mind how he was going to use Paul, even when Paul was completely down the wrong path. His life before, even though it didn't glorify God back then, God was using Paul's past experiences and knowledge to glorify him now. And it's a reminder of whatever your past life is, whatever you've done in the past doesn't write you off and those experiences you went through even if they're painful and difficult god can use those things you've been through to help others and bring glory to god now they weren't just wasted times god can use those experiences to point people who are going through the same things as you did back to him not that god wanted those bad things to happen things that might have happened to you to have happened But in his amazing grace, he can use our stories and experiences to help others understand their story. uh, Understand, sorry, he can use our stories and experiences to help others understand his story for their lives. As we come up to Easter weekend, as we look at the moment when the world is waiting for a savior, Jesus, God's son, came down to earth and died on the cross, taking all our sin and mess with him. If you're waiting for Jesus, remember he has already paid the price. He has already saved you from his sin. Come back to him. Don't let this weekend come and pass you by. Don't let distractions of seeing family, eating loads of food and enjoying a long weekend stop you from taking a step back and remembering what Jesus has done for you. And remembering the fact that So many people are still waiting and are still in need of a saviour. And we get the privilege to point them towards the only one who can ever give them true life and purpose. So what do you do in your times of waiting? Don't just sit back and wait for better things to happen. Search for where God is in these moments. Look for the opportunities he's wanting to use you, even if you feel like you're not where you want to be. God can still use you. You just need to be willing to step out and step up to the challenges that he's presenting you. Let me pray. Thank you, Jesus, that you, you choose to use us, God. Thank you that you want to use us, God, and, and that, yeah, we have this amazing message of hope that the world needs to hear, God. I pray that wherever we are, whether we feel like we're where we're supposed to be or whether we're feeling like we're in a time of waiting, God, I pray that you would help us in our times of waiting to search for what you're calling us to do, to search where you are in those moments. Amen. <laughs>